reading tonight from the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter. And this will be a passage of Scripture that you will be familiar with. But I want to expound upon it tonight. Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Baptism has something to do with salvation, doesn't it? Amen. Some folks don't believe it has anything to do with salvation. But if you're not baptized, you're not going to be saved. But you just can't be baptized any way you want to be. You have to be baptized the right way, the Bible way. This is not a sermon on water baptism, but I'm a water baptism in Jesus' name preacher. And uh, I'm like the old-time preacher that uh, every time he was, he was a baptism preacher, right? And he could hardly stay away from preaching on water baptism. So he took a text from the, from the book of Genesis, the first chapter, where it said God made the heaven and earth and he divided the firmament from the firmament. He said, well, that's all that water. He said, God put all that water on the planet for one reason, and that's to baptize people the right way in Jesus' name. <laughs> well, we're not going there tonight, but <laughs> he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So it's a serious thing. These signs shall follow them to believe in my name. Now cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Let's give God a big hand praise for the word tonight. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the word. In Jesus' name, and I pray your blessing. Amen. You may be seated tonight. I'm going to talk to you about Pentecostals, Pentecostals' best kept secret. Conrad Murrell, in his book, Faith Cometh, Cometh writes, faith in this modern age is a commodity which you use to work miracles with, to get things for yourself, to heal the sick, to raise money. And it is an accessory to Christianity that is greatly to be decoveted, to be coveted, because if one can find the secret to getting it and turning it loose and using it, there's no limit to how great he can become or what he can do. He furthermore wrote, do you desire to know what work it is that God wants you to do? Then this is it. Believe him. Nothing else matters until you do. And when you do, you'll find yourself in a work of faith. If the religious work in which you are engaged can function without the supernatural hand of God, then it requires no faith on your part and is worthless in God's sight. The Christian life begins, continues, and consummates in faith. Nothing less pleases him, and you are capable of nothing greater. Now, I uh, said that, and I'm not going to preach on faith per se, but I think it's important that I begin my construction of this message tonight with faith as the underpinning for supernatural acquirement of gifts of God. Amen. Now, much has been made to do of Matthew 28, 19, the so-called Great Commission. But aside from verse number 19 saying, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, which is an open-ended and unenumerated statement, 
There is no mention whatsoever of the powerful Pentecostal signs that are mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, which are meant to accompany the preaching of the Gospel. It's one thing to preach the Gospel. To preach it correctly, you've got to know it right. That's a great thing in itself. We've come to a place in mankind, in human history, when there are many prophets and many Christ's so-called and many gospels, other gospels, other than the gospel that you have been delivered and preached to from the beginning. So you got to know the right gospel. That in itself is a powerful thing. I have often said, and you know this to be a Lefebvre original quote, the gospel is inevitable. If you preach it, it will do a work. It will win souls. It will accomplish what it is meant to do. You just have to put it out there. It's a seed like any other seed. And once it's delivered, it is inevitable that it will do its job. The gospel alone is powerful. But it alone is not everything uh, that is attended. Uh, it's the flagship by which... Uh, the message of Christ sails upon the earth. But there are accompanying signs that are meant to go with it. Amen. We cannot just go by signs alone because a faithless and a perverse generation seeks signs. Satan can deliver on signs. He's got Catholic signs. He's got Jehovah Witness signs. He, he's got Mormon signs. He's got all kinds of signs of all kinds of faiths. Uh, so you can't not just go on signs alone. Amen. But the gospel doesn't stand alone either. It is meant to come with accompanying signs, powerful signs. No other gospel account comes close to the gospel of Mark in this respect. Luke 24 and 49 only speaks of the promise of the Father, which Christ would send on the day of Pentecost. It doesn't directly say what it is, but it was known to the disciples what it what it would be and finally according to Luke's account of this same great commission in Acts 1 and 8 power would come after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you so the Holy Ghost is coming with power with supernatural empowerment with supernatural signs it isn't something that you just make up in your head it's not just something you imagine it's not based on a confession of Christ unto salvation. You don't just accept Christ and believe that you get the Holy Ghost. You don't get slapped across the face when you're 12 years of age and confirmed in the church and receive the Holy Ghost. Nobody can blow on you and breathe the Holy Ghost into you. Amen. But there's a power, amen, that comes with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is meant to be accompanied by supernatural, powerful signs. Can you say praise the Lord, church? Hallelujah. Now we know when this happened. It happened 10 days later than Acts 1 and 8 on the very day of Pentecost. The Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or abilities. Thus began one of the greatest spiritual mysteries ever encountered by man. That 
being speaking with other tongues. This did then and has since caused confusion, fear, consternation, and even ridicule from those that do not understand what this is all about, speaking in tongues. Don't ask me to explain speaking in tongues. Don't ask anybody who has received it to be able to explain it. We didn't know what it was before we got it, and we can't explain it after we had it, but we do know that when there is a supernatural empowerment of a spirit that moves upon us, as the spirit breathing upon the face of the waters, it breathes upon us, and as it does, there is also an accompanying movement within our physical body, amen, something that wants to come out, that wants to burst forth, that wants to bring an utterance. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how it works. I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but neither do I want to stop it when it gets started. Hallelujah. Because it's a supernatural empowerment of God. Can you say praise the Lord, church? Hallelujah. So the Bible said they were amazed and in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said these men are full of new wine. So it has forever been the source of controversy and contention and misunderstanding for those that don't have it. If we who received it can't explain it, can you imagine how much more mysterious it must be to those who haven't received it? They've heard it, but they've never felt it. They've, they've heard it, and it doesn't hear right doesn't hear like anything that they can wrap their head around and their logic around. But neither do they feel the same powerful impulses within them when it happens. They only can hear it from the outside. To this very day, those who are made uncomfortable by this spiritual phenomenon have devised every excuse and every doctrine that they can think of to try to deal with it. The Jehovah Witnesses claim that it is of the devil. The Baptists say that it was only for that generation, but since that time it has passed away. The non-denominational say it's an added blessing, but you don't need it to be saved. The Charismatics claim they can teach you to speak in other tongues. And most Pentecostals and Neo-Pentecostals believe that it is for some people, but not everyone needs it. Some will go so far as to say that tongue speaking should be limited to only the use of one of those nine gifts of the Spirit called the gift of tongues and only to be used when there is an interpretation available to go forth upon it. So these are some of the varied claims that are made about speaking in tongues from those who are outside of this phenomenon, outside of this experience and outside of this blessing. Hallelujah. Ron Ox, in his uh, book, Pentecostals in Crisis, uh, says this. He says, at its outset, the power encounter hallmarked the Pentecostal church. This movement's greatest distinction in its first generation was its adherence, powerful encounters with God. In the, in the book, Anointed to Serve by Dr. William W. Menzies, it illustrates this point as it documents the birth of the Pentecostal movement. Three 
12 Azusa Street, Los Angeles in 1906. And odd as it may seem, according to eyewitness accounts that are published in this book, these early Pentecostal meetings were completely unorthodox and by some of today's standards, utterly doomed for failure. The Azusa Street Revival, as it's sometimes called, did not take place at the most beautiful church in town. Quite to the contrary. It was held in an old, unattractive two-story frame building which had been used most recently as a livery stable and a tenement house, compared inside and outside to a barn by some. Inside of this humble shack, there was no gorgeously robed choir. There were no finely tuned orchestra. And what's more, no handbills were distributed, nor was there any other kind of public advertising employed to provoke the revival meetings. However, God was there, manifesting himself without any restriction. And that alone was enough to draw people. Altar calls were announced simply and matter-of-factly without coaxing, cajoling, or psychological wheedling. Holy Spirit wrought conviction drove the lost to the altars where they found their God. And those who came to Christ embarked on their new spiritual journey with incredible zeal and phenomenal enthusiasm. Nothing else seemed to matter. A love for the pleasures of this world was dwarfed and swallowed up by this new and exciting life with the Savior. And some of those that were gathered heard voices of angels singing praises to the Most High, and others in attendance uh, sang praises composed by the Holy Spirit. Physical laws were bent like silly putty as the sick were instantly healed of afflictions, and others were engulfed in the resplendent presence of God, praising God in languages foreign to their own ears. Many fell prostrate and worshiped God in other languages given to them by the Holy Ghost. Dr. Menzies chronicles one such encounter in his book involving a newspaper reporter that was assigned to cover the revival meeting, uh, which he and his editors regarded as a gathering of psychotic religious fanatics. Amen. The reporter in question, say thank God I'm one of those, the reporter in question was completely amused as uh, his editors by the idea of writing an exploitive article dripping with sensationalism. It was business as usual for the yellow journalist of the area's, era's notorious penny press. But after the man arrived on the scene, the situation took a dramatic turn. The Holy Spirit moved this journalist deeply as he observed the stirring scenes, which were the norm at Azusa Street. And suddenly, an elderly woman shouted something in a language alien to everyone, except for this foreign-born reporter, that is. He heard and understood her as she described his sinful past in his native tongue without accent or error. Very shortly, he realized that what had taken place was supernatural, and that it had happened in order to draw him to God. And during that service, he repented of his sin and accepted Christ as his Savior and Lord. And going straight from that meeting, he informed his employers that he could not write the sensational story they wanted, but instead he offered to write an impartial account. And as you might expect, his employers were not thrilled with the offer. In fact, they informed him that they had no need for such an article, nor the man who would write it. He lost his job that night, but he found eternal destiny, and he went home the happiest 
most unemployed journalist in the world. These powerful experiences which, which set Pentecostals apart served as a reference point for each one of them because in a moment of great tribulation, each individual was able to look back to the day when he met Christ and was encouraged instantly as he was reminded of his purpose as a Christian. Hallelujah. That's what I call conversion. That's a road to Damascus experience. Amen. That's the kind of an experience that changes lives. You don't just come here because uh, you're tired of heroin and cocaine and marijuana and you want to find another dope to thrill your mind. And while the Holy Ghost can energize you and thrill you and, and fill your body and mind and give you peace without any price of a drug or without any consequence of a drug, amen, it is not meant to be an aesthetic, amen, uh, to our mental situation, but rather an empowerment, amen, to rise us up out of the need for aesthetics and out of the need for things, amen, that we have been crippled in the use of before. It is meant to make us overcomers, amen, and successors in life and in the world and energize us to reach around the world with the gospel to every creature. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now we began tonight by speaking of the efficacy of faith, what faith can do. But I ask you this night, what takes more faith, what takes more faith than submitting to and receiving a foreign spirit called the Holy Ghost, which is a gift from God? If you were a native of the Dominican Republic or Haiti or some of these other places in the Caribbean, and you were raised to believe in voodoo and magic and supernatural spiritualism, and you attended these ceremonies and chickens were killed and the blood spilled on you and on everything else and liquor was drunk and people danced until they got in trances and got possessed of an evil spirit, you would see people actively actively seeking, engaged in spiritual mysteries, seeking the empowerment of strange spirits to come in possession of their bodies. Am I not right, Sister Rose? You don't know. Amen. Well, you're, you're from the Caribbean. I'm sure you never did any of that. You were always a good Christian woman. But you know people do that stuff down there. You know they do that stuff down there. Hallelujah. And they're scared of it because there's power that goes with it power that goes with it. Hallelujah. Now, they do that without question. And a lot of people in the world that are looking for some kind of spiritual encounter or energy would much rather look there and try that than they would come to a Pentecostal service and submit to the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now for you and I who have received it, it is no longer a mystery, but up until that moment that we received it. If I were to poll you, if I were to go through here and it asked different ones of you what you thought and what you felt the first time that you heard about receiving the Holy Ghost. Amen. You came to Pentecost. You heard about it. You thought these people. How many of you thought these people were all crazy? <laughs> Brother Andy thought they were all crazy. You think they're all crazy now? No. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Well, they kept the 
That sounds like Brother Randy. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we thought they were all crazy. Uh, how many of you knew what, what it was like, what it was that you were seeking the Holy Ghost? You, you, you had any idea what it was? I mean, I sought the Holy Ghost for years. I, I was only a child when I got it, but I sought it for a long time. I didn't know what to expect. You did not know what to expect. Didn't know what to expect. Amen. You just had to be there. You had to be present. You had to be physically and spiritually active. You had to mentally give assent to what was happening to you. And if you were older, an older person, grown, and experienced and sophisticated in life, this must have been a difficult thing for you. Much different from a child that's raised, reared in the church, raised in Pentecost, and from a child has grown up to know and understand that they need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they see other people get it. It's much different for them. It's easier. Still, they don't know what it is that they're going to get, but they at least know it's acceptable. But if you did not know, Brother Dwayne, you did not know anything about this. You came to the Lord. You came to church. You heard it all for the first time. You were a believer, but you didn't believe in this. Hallelujah. Don't know what to expect. Some of us took a long time to get the Holy Ghost. Long time. We went to the altar time after time after time and prayed and prayed and prayed. Walked away home without the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we didn't know what we were looking for. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know how to get it. We didn't know how it was going to come. We didn't know any of that stuff. And we were too much involved up here mentally with all those questions. You have to lose this in order to get this. You have to surrender this in order to get this. Hallelujah. You have to let your heart rule, not your head. Your heart has to rule. Your emotions have to rule, not your head. You have to surrender, amen, to that feeling that first comes around you. That tingling excitement, that sense of electricity, that sense of something different, something strange, something different. Amen. And when your lips start to shake and quiver and get away from you, and, and, and you find yourself having a hard time controlling your language and your speech, you have to let go of this and let this take over. Hallelujah. What takes more faith than submitting to the experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. That takes all the faith in the world that, that you can muster to allow that to happen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let's give God a hand praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and while that leap of faith seems so big at the beginning, once you've done it and you look back on it, it seems so little. And it, it takes so little of it to go back there again and to get in that space again and get in that place where the Holy Ghost can move upon you. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. So, uh, clear proof of the Holy Ghost supernatural empowerment could be no more relevant than speaking in unknown tongues. If there were any other way that we could logically approach the subject, it would have removed the spiritual mystery of it. Too easy to fake. Too easy 
to not have clear proof of it. So, speaking in tongues is the greatest proof of this spiritual phenomenon called glossolalia, or speaking in unknown tongues. In fact, when we speak in tongues, it may be the tongues of men and angels, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1. And he goes on to clarify, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. And he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. 1 Corinthians 14 and 4. And I would that you all spake in tongues. Verse 5. And I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. 1 Corinthians 14 and 15. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Now that had to be some boast because he was talking to the Corinthian church and they were all up into it about the gifts of the Spirit. They were all up into it. And he said, I speak in tongues more than you all. Hallelujah. Now this is killer. This is killer right here. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 21 and 22. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and with other lips will I speak unto this people. And for all that they would not hear me, saith the Lord. What is he referring to? He's referring to uh, Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. For with stammering lips in another known tongue will I speak to this people. Yet they would not hear. This is, repress, this is refreshing. He goes on to say, verse 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God for tongues. Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. Amen. You shall preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. That's the answer to all those people that are trying to find an excuse for their Christianity sans speaking in tongues or without speaking in tongues. That, that is the answer, hallelujah. It is for a sign, not to the believer, but to them that believe not. Now consider this. Those that don't want to accept tongue speaking and don't want to justify this uh, act of the Spirit by quoting from 1 Corinthians 13 and 8, where it says tongues would cease, I would I remind them that that chapter, chapter 13, is a small chapter sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14. What do we know about this? In chapter 12, we are introduced to the nine spiritual gifts, the charismatic gifts of the Spirit, one of them being the gift of tongues. And in chapter 14, uh, from which I read you numerous quotes, uh, chapter 14 is meant to clarify, to regulate, and to even differentiate uh, this use of tongue speaking. That being a legitimate and useful prayer language, and also that which is meant to be used to give a special spiritual message as if Prophecy were to be given. Tongues interpretation equals the gift of prophecy. So, uh, 
Those people that try to take one little piece of a scripture out of context and throw all of tongues away are doing it from a chapter that is in the middle of two other more powerful chapters about speaking in tongues than that. Now, in conclusion tonight, I'm going to wrap this up. Here's what I believe God wants me to tell you tonight. Here's what it is. Among us, there is not enough tongue speaking going on. This most singular evidence of the Holy Spirit, the very proof of its baptism, the underpinning of its spiritual power, it's not gibberish, it's not gobbledygook, and it's not garbled prayer. And I would contend to you tonight that Satan would convince the best of us that praying in tongues is a waste of time doesn't make a lot of sense. Hallelujah. Don't understand what we're saying or doing. Hallelujah. But I continue tonight that praying in tongues speaks mysteries to God, edifies and builds the Holy Ghost in us, and is a powerful and efficacious bringer of the gifts of the Spirit to the church. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. I would say to you tonight that Satan has attempted to emasculate Pentecostals and separate us from something that is meant to empower the church, bring the anointing of God, hallelujah, down to the house, hallelujah. I would contend tonight that tongue speaking is the spiritual battery behind every special work of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. On the day of Pentecost, 120 all speaking in tongues at the same time. Imagine a service where every spirit-filled believer at the same time spoke in tongues. What would it feel like if the Holy Ghost was moving on us and every one of us that had it were speaking in tongues? What would it feel like? What would it sound like? And what would it bring? What would it bring to the church? Hallelujah. You don't speak in tongues often enough. Some of you haven't spoken in tongues in months or years. I was 11 when I got the Holy Ghost and I spoke in tongues. I heard it. Two weeks went by and I did not speak in tongues again. And by that time, Satan had told me I didn't have the Holy Ghost. Anybody ever had that experience? You got the Holy Ghost and afterwards the devil comes to you with doubt and says, that wasn't real. You didn't get it. That wasn't real. I got so worried, I went back to the altar. Amen. It was First Pentecostal Church of Orange, Texas. 
W.E. Gamblin was my pastor. I went back to the altar, hallelujah, and I prayed. I was scared. God, did I really get it? And I spoke in tongues. Oh, I spoke in tongues. Hallelujah, I heard it, and I knew I had it. I knew I had it. Never questioned it again. A whole year goes by. Our family moves to upstate New York in 1967 to start a church in Cortland. I had not spoken in tongues. Maybe once, two or three times in, in my whole, that whole year time. About a whole year goes by, I don't speak in tongues. We're having a prayer meeting in the house. Hallelujah. We're praying. And then these prayer meetings went on for an hour, two, three hours. People were getting the Holy Ghost. I was praying. And suddenly as I was praying, I got into something called the spirit of intercession. I was 12 years of age. I got into that intercessory prayer mode. And all kinds of strange foreign tongues just powerfully begin to come out of me. Just speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues powerfully, powerfully. And ever since that day, the spirit of intercession has been a part of my life and my prayer ministry. Amen. Being able to focus in on prayer and, and reach in deep and get somewhere in prayer. Well, I turn a knob. I turn a handle. I, I turn something inside of me off and something on. Hallelujah. And I just run away and the power of God begins to move and flow. Now I'm going to tell you something. I don't know how it is with you, but with me in those moments, hallelujah, when the spirit comes on me and I'm speaking in tongues powerfully in the Holy Ghost, I feel energy. I feel power. I feel anointing. I don't feel that anointing any other way or any other time than when I'm in prayer speaking in those kinds of tongues. How about you? Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. You haven't spoken in tongues so long. We don't speak in tongues enough. Hallelujah. And we need to open the floodgate. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One reason why we don't experience the evidence of the gifts of the Spirit more than we do is because we don't speak in tongues enough. Hallelujah. If we got really used to speaking in tongues and praying in tongues, it's a short hop from that to the utterance called the gift of other tongues where God can now use an interpreter, amen, or the spirit of prophecy to speak to the church. More things would happen to us, in us, and through us if we would speak like Pentecostals should speak in other tongues. I'm inviting you to pray right now. I'm closing. This is it. I'm closing. I'm turning to church. I'm turning the service to you. I'm turning it to you right now. Hallelujah. I know we've got work to do. Hallelujah. But when's the last time you spoke in tongues? Hallelujah. Maybe you never have. Tonight could be a night. Amen. When you can get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. Hallelujah. What about it, church? You want to be used in the gifts of the Spirit? You want a greater anointing in your life? You want to be more powerfully used of God? You need to enter in to speaking in tongues. Speak. Let it go in your life. Let it out. Hallelujah. Let God use your tongue, your lips, your mind, your heart. Hallelujah. 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 God, help us. Give us a double baptism of the Holy Ghost. A double portion of it. Oh, Lord God, I pray. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you tonight. Thank you tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Our young people need to speak in tongues. Our children need to get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. Children can prophesy. They can give, be used of God in the gifts of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I see children as young as four years of age get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. It's common for children at six years of age in this church to get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. They need to speak in tongues. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Speak in tongues. Let it go. Speak in tongues. Let God get a hold of your life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, sir. It's not enough to say I spoke in tongues once. I got the Holy Ghost once when I did. I spoke in tongues. It's not enough. It needs to be a part of your prayer life. It needs to be your language of prayer. You need to be able to open up the channel of your soul and let it pour out and let God speak mysteries to you. Speak in tongues, church. Speak in tongues. Speak in tongues. You know, more people would get the Holy Ghost in this church if more of us spoke in tongues. Come on, our lives. 